Isn't this the truth right now? It's all about you, Jesus. Father, today as we come in the house of God, Father, we choose to lay down all those things, all the distractions, all our frustrations from the week. Father, today we choose to put everything else down, and we choose to declare that today, in this moment, it's all about you. Father, we choose to give you the worship you deserve. We choose to give you the praise that you deserve. Can we just stretch our hands to him? Jesus, we honor you. We invite you into this room. Father God, we give everything to you. Jesus, Jesus, declare his name on high. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Declare that right now. It's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. Jesus, everything else, we can lay it down. It doesn't match up. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. I mean, this is really the challenge in our lives right here, right now, is making it all about Jesus. And here we are, 10 minutes into the service, and this is our challenge in church today, is can we give our full attention to him? God is preparing us in this moment to live our lives fully devoted to him. Father, we declare again, it is all about you. So many things take our mind time. But in this moment, we declare and we know it is all about you, Jesus. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Jesus, you are our everything. Right now, in this moment, I can declare this to you. He is your solution. He is your answer. Today, I hope that you're in this house because you want to honor him. Because that's what we're going to do this day. Hallelujah. Can we say amen? Well, we're just getting started. What a privilege we have today. Paul's going to come up here in just a moment. He's going to share our morning announcements. But I just want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church. I'm looking around, and I see some faces I don't recognize. And I just want to personally say we're so glad you're with us today. Our prayer today that as you're in this service is that God would meet you where you're at, that he would touch your hearts, that you would feel welcome in this place. But most of all, and I think we all agree, we're here today to honor him. And today we're going to do our best in doing that. Amen? Can we agree on that? We're going to do our best to honor our king. So let's listen. You know, when we're singing those lyrics, I will put my trust in you. God, show us how to do that. I feel like I I felt it a little bit in the room. I'm not exactly sure how to put my trust in him. 
I guess we start right here. Jesus, show us how to do that. I pray right now for the hearts of each man and each woman in this place. Father God, show us how to put our trust in you fully. So many days when we think we've done it, then we pull back and we pull back. Father, show us right now, Lord, how do we put our trust in you? Give us a revelation in this moment, God. Speak to our hearts right now, Jesus. I just want you to ask him that right where you're sitting. Show me, Lord, how to put my trust in you. That's our cry right now, God. Show us how to do this. Show us, Jesus. It's trust. I think my wife has something to say. I'm going to trust that it's good. Do you know, I just, there's this word stirring in my guts, in my heart, in my spirit, and there's a sense that God wants to deposit heaven in our hearts. You know, I feel that in the room today. How many times have you prayed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And you know, we're blessing these ones that are giving their yes. Do you know what they're saying yes to? They're saying yes to heaven. They're saying yes to the manifestation of heaven on earth. And you know, it's not just for them, it's for us as a body. And I think right now, God has been asking us, will you push into my heart for a moment? Will you push into heaven for a moment? And can I deposit heaven in your heart? And when he deposits heaven in our hearts, when we open up our mouths, we release heaven into the atmosphere. We release heaven into people's lives that do not know him. We release heaven into our city. We release heaven into the country. And so right now I want you to understand that Chris is blessing their yes, but I want to bless our yes today, that we would say, oh yes, God, we say yes to you, depositing the fullness of heaven in our hearts, and how does that happen? By us saying, oh yes, God, we look at you, we focus on you, we turn our thoughts on you, and we continue to say yes over and over and over again, even in the mundane moments, even in the painful moments, even in the moments when we don't know what we're doing, even when we're scrambling around on worship team, even when we're sitting with our neighbors and they are unhappy, even when we're driving in traffic and somebody cuts us off, heaven is in our hearts and we can release it. And so, Lord, I just want to say, in Jesus' name, I want to agree with this blessing that Chris is praying. And we receive heaven in our hearts, Lord. We receive the blessing of heaven in our hearts. We receive the fullness of heaven in our hearts and you have our yes today God you have our yes today I pray God that the fullness of heaven here on earth would be made manifest in this day and in this time God we pray thank you Lord for heaven on earth thank you God for heaven in our hearts well it's glad to see uh, all of you here today I'm looking around and some of you have been away for a while Some of you have been on holidays. We've still got some people away on holidays. We've got some people away at camp and whatnot. You know, I was thinking about this because I was on holidays just recently myself. And, uh, you know, normally when I go on holidays, I I absolutely love it. It's amazing. And I used to hear this saying all the time, and maybe you guys can relate to it, is I need a break from my holidays or I need a holiday from my holidays. Have you guys ever said that? You know, well, I never really experienced that. 
until this year. Now I realize I am now 50 years old and something has changed. But I went to Waterton with my family and with my kids and we've done the same hikes that we've done every single year. And this was the first year I had to pretend like I wasn't sore, like I wasn't hurt, like I wasn't broken down. And I can honestly tell you today, my shoulder is sore, my back is sore, it's been two weeks. What has happened? Something has changed. So now I understand the statement, I need a holiday for my holidays. Well, I wanna say this. One thing I love about life is the older I get in my spiritual journey, it just gets better. I do not need a holiday from my spiritual life. In fact, I feel like every year I get older, it begins to get clearer and clearer and clearer. And I hope that's the case for all of you, that as you get older, that your faith is increasing, that something is shifting. And I'm so glad, maybe my body is going in a different direction, but my spirit is flying high. And I just want to say right now, I pray that over all of us in this room, that our spirits would start to fly high. And let me tell you something, if you're a little discouraged in your spiritual journey, it's going to get better, right? It's going to get better. As you begin to get older and as you begin to have more experiences, something's going to shift. Your faith is going to increase. You're going to encounter God in more and more ways, and you're going to get to a place where all of a sudden these little things are just that, little things. Just speed bumps along the journey, right? When our faith is in Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. So today, I don't know, I struggled with what I wanted to, you know, title my sermon. I thought I could call this Mothers and Fathers Part 3. You know, I don't know, because I feel like almost everything that we preach about actually involves mothers and fathers, right? Everything we're doing as a church, everything we're doing requires that we begin to get a mother and a father heart towards the next generation and towards the body of Christ. And so today, though, that's not my title. I'm going to call it Kingdom Influence, and it's presenting our culture, presenting the people in this world a superior model that we are all part of. And I want to get into that a little bit today, because last time I preached, I talked about a few things, and I shared about what makes a church successful. And I talked about, you know, number one is always this, the presence of God, right? We all agree on that. Without the presence of God, nothing we, nothing we do can be successful, right? Church will not be successful, right? We may have some good programs and whatnot, but without the presence of God, nothing is successful, The second thing I shared is this, is we need to always be aware of the state of our community, right? We may be in our church and we may feel like things going great, but when we look outside our doors, when our community is in shambles, when it's torn apart, when things are not going well, again, I will say it again, not everything is as it seems in the church, right? Something needs to shift so that we begin to see transformation take place in our communities and all around us. Amen? Well, I would say we all have work to do, all of us, because I want to ask this again. How many of you want to see a revival? Man, you can tell Ben's not here today, right? (laughs) Yeah, right? We need a few of those. How many of you want to see a revival, right? I want to see a revival take place. 
I want to see something shift in our communities, and I believe that's going to fall upon us. One of the things I shared uh, a month ago as well is I talked about this is right here in front of me is one of the greatest resources we have, the people of Christ, that being you. And I think for too many years, we've underused, we've not known how to necessarily walk with our congregations, and we've not necessarily known how to properly train our congregations. Because again, each and every one of you have access to realms that I do not have access to. You have connections with people that I do not have connection with. You work in environments that I will never get the opportunity to go into, right? And I'm sure some of us, how many of you are familiar with the Seven Mountains teachings? Anybody familiar with it? I know, Cam, I think you've touched on it for sure on a Wednesday. I'm not sure if you've preached on it, but we may need to preach on it on a Sunday. You know, I just want to list them real quick, and if you're not familiar with it, I want to tell you, write this name down, Lance Walno. He does a teaching on the seven mountains, and I'm going to encourage you, read the teaching because it's excellent, because that's part of what I'm talking about here, is again, you guys are a resource, and part of the call to the body of Christ is that we are to go into the highways and the byways in every area of life, everywhere, and we are to influence. We are to shift, we are to change, we are to have dominion from sea to shining sea. I mean, we are meant to go into all these realms and see the hand of God move. Right? It's true. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Number one is religion. Number two is family. Number three is education. Number four is government. Number five is media. Number six is arts and entertainment. And I would add sports to that as well. And number seven is business. Right? We need to see every single one of these areas, wherever we are influenced with the love of Jesus Christ. Because I think we all know we live in a very interesting world today. And the solution is not the politicians. The solution is not if they just get their act together, then everything will shift and change. Not the truth. The truth is when the body of Christ rises up and steps into its place of authority and begins to understand who we are and begins to lead the way, lead the charge, and begins to share the gospel with every single person on this planet, then we will see a shift, then we will see transformation, and we won't until then. Right? And I've said this before, and I will say it again. We cannot expect politicians to think like Christians. We cannot expect unbelievers to think like Christians. They're not going to. So stop getting angry at them. There's something missing, and it's us. We are the solution to this. Right? We are the solution. And so I want to read out of Acts 27, but can I do this a little differently? I want to read it out of a book. And it's actually shared a little bit differently. And the story I want to share with you, and I think many of us are familiar with it, is a story about Paul. And Paul is involved in a shipwreck in chapter 27. And so I want to read this and bear with me. I have a terrible way of pronouncing words sometimes, as most of you know. But I'm going to do my best. Now, there's one word in here, and I'm going to say it right now, just so you guys know when I read it, that you understand exactly what I'm saying. It's called Yerlokladon. Did you get that? Everybody say that. Yerlokladon. Yeah, you did pretty good, right? Now, I'm going to probably mess it up a few times. Anybody know what it means? Jim? What? I thought you knew all this stuff, right? Yerlokladon. 
It's simply talking about the north, northeastern winds, right? These massive storms. That's what it is. And so when you hear that, that's exactly what it's talking about. So I don't know. Maybe some of you need to close your eyes. Maybe you don't. I don't really care. I want you to listen to the story, and I want you to get it into your heart because Paul actually gives us, right, a wonderful example of exactly what I'm talking about, of how we're called to influence the very places that we function every single day, right? So let's give this a shot. It says, the wind had a name. The ancient maritime voyagers called it Eurocladon. It presented one of the greatest terrors of ocean travel during the time of the Romans. It was the enemy of any and all vessels sailing across the waves of the Mediterranean Sea. Like the mythical dragon casting its shadow over all who sailed its waters, the name of the Eurocladon was cautiously uttered on the lips of nervous sailors when the chilly winds of autumn began to blow across the sea. Even experienced seamen dared not to sail after the month of October. But it was a beautiful autumn morning, the day on the shores of Fair Havens. The rising sun greeted the owner of the Alexandrian ship, standing on deck with his captain and Roman centurion named Julius. As they discussed the feasibility of continuing their journey, their journey at sea, they were joined by a fourth man. But he had little credibility. He was neither a military man nor an experienced sailor. He was a prisoner in their custody, accused of sedition against the government. He was on his way to the Court of Appeals in Rome to plead his case before the emperor. His name was Paul. Paul put forth a warning to the centurion about the perils of travel this late in the year during the season of your Lachlodon's fury, but the advice of the the ship's captain prevailed over Paul's counsel. After all, they were enjoying the sunshine and the soft breezes of a beautiful Mediterranean morning. What could possibly go wrong? The order to set sail was given, and Paul was quietly moved to the holding facility below. As well-wishers shouted a bon voyage, the ship charted a course for Rome. Before long, your Lachlodon came calling. The first hint of its presence came in a dark in the form of a dark cloud circling omnisciously overhead. Then his, advancement, then his advanced winds hit the boat from sail to stern like menacing gremlins announcing the arrival of their king. Soon Eurocladon himself came upon the scene and fell upon the small vessel with all his fury. The craft was seized by the monstrous waves like unfortunate prey caught in the paws of a playful cat. The sail was retracted, the lifeboat secured, cables were wrapped around the hull of the boat, and the crew hunkered down, hopelessly praying that Eurocladon would spare them from the long and painful death. At this moment, God dispatched an angel right in the middle of Eurocladon's fury. He had a message to deliver to a change agent on the boat who was fulfilling his kingdom assignments. Unhindered by the raging sea, the angel appeared to Paul in the dark belly of the creaking and groaning ship with a strategy from heaven. In short order, Paul ascended from his incarcerating lair with the first words of hope spoken on the vessel since Eurocladon's arrival. After a humble and well-deserved, I told you so, Paul became the voice of God to the centurion, the captain, and the crew in the midst of the storm. 
He restored their lost hope by assuring them everyone on board would be spared from death if they obeyed every word. (laughs) Isn't that great? Well, let me just touch on a few of the specific things that Paul actually said in those moments. And I'm going to start in verse 21 of Acts 27. Paul made this statement. It says, After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we must run aground on some islands. And then a little later on, this isn't mentioned in the story, but I think it's worth mentioning as they're getting closer to the island, some things begin to get a little bit sketchy, and so I want to share it. It says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless the men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away again. So if we're seeing the picture, they're listening to every word that Paul is saying. Paul has gotten the ear of the centurion, right? Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. We get to see a moment of Paul's compassion, right? Paul sees what's going on on this boat, and he has a moment of compassion. And he looks at all of these men and says, stop what you're doing right now, right? You got to remember, this is 14 days at sea in the midst of a massive storm. And Paul, who has heard from an angel, knows exactly what needs to take place. And so in that moment, he tells them, stop what you're doing. I want you to eat. You need the strength. And he encourages them again. He had compassion in this moment. I'll just finish reading this part. It says, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship around if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, They left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. 
but the ship stuck a sandbar and ran aground. The bows stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks and other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So Paul's word became truth. Every single thing he predicted happened. This is a powerful statement because I hope we realize what happens, right? A prisoner became a leader, right? In this moment, a prisoner became a leader, In fact, the centurion stopped listening to everybody else, and he started to listen to a prisoner. And in that moment, the prisoner, who at one point was downstairs stuck at the bottom of a boat, became the leader of everything. And I want us to start to even think this through in our minds and our hearts and our heads. Because again, I want you in some ways to begin to place yourself into the life of Paul. And begin to look at your life because I feel for some of us, maybe we feel like we're at the bottom of a boat stuck and we're not so sure what's going on in life. But I mean, things can shift in a second. And something shifted in a second. I want to give you four quick things that happened there that are so powerful. We need to catch this. The first one is this, is God dispatched an angel right in the middle of the storm. This is what God does. Do you notice something happens in the midst of crisis? right? Something always happens because you know, I think we would all agree with us with this is when we're not in crisis, when life is happy, we're not aware of the dangers around us, but those dangers are all around us. Wouldn't we agree? They're all around us, right? But when life is good, we don't really focus on it. But when crisis happens, something gets our attention. Well, God dispatches an angel He gave Paul a message that was fulfilling his kingdom assignment at that moment. Can we camp there for a second? Because I feel like many of you in this room, you have a calling. God has called you to something, right? I don't know, maybe it's the field you're in. For me, I got called into the ministry. God has called us to to something. We are advocates for certain things. But I want us to hear this statement one more time. He gave Paul a message that was fulfilling his kingdom assignment at that moment. Do you realize that you still have assignments that take place at any moment? That moment might be right now. Maybe some of you have already heard from God in church and God has said you need to go talk to this person or you need to go and do this or you need to pray for that person and some of you are already debating it maybe in your mind. Maybe you have something that you're called to do right after church, but there's this debate in your mind that's taking place. Let me tell you something again. God has individual assignments for each and every one of us in this room. And those assignments are powerful and amazing. Because how many of us know Paul wasn't just in one shipwreck, was he? How many was he in? At least three that we know of. At least three shipwrecks. It does something. When you honor the Lord and you respond in those moments, those kingdom assignments, they could be when you're at work, when you're at school. Sometimes we actually look down on the places we're in. And again, I see it just like this moment. 
stuck in the bottom of a boat and all of a sudden God gives a mandate in that moment. I can tell you what Paul was not doing in the bottom of that ship. He was not playing cards. He was probably not grumbling and complaining about anybody else on that boat. He was not focused on all the issues. He was doing one thing. He was seeking the king. He was actually going to the source. Right? Again, the presence of God is what changes everything. And he knew the only thing that can fix this is the presence of God. So he went to that place in the bottom of a ship. And an angel showed up and gave him the strategy to shift and change everything. This is important for us to grab in our spirits. The second thing is this, is that he was unfazed by the raging sea. Did you catch that? He was not fazed by it. Why? Because he had faith. Why? Because he had heard from God. Why? Because he had been through a few shipwrecks before. He was completely unfazed. Third, he had compassion. Man, have you ever been in the middle of a crisis and everybody's going nuts, right? And it's just chaos. I mean, right in the middle of a crisis. And we're going to define crisis a little later because sometimes when we think about crisis, we go straight to that place of COVID was a crisis, right? Drayton Valley fires, that was a crisis. But you know, everybody experiences crisis every single day. It just looks different. The compassion that he had upon them was powerful. He cared for them, and he loved them. And the fourth thing is this, is he wasn't focused on the enemy. Because you know what the enemy does? He's still doing it. He's trying to destroy your hope. Right? That's what the enemy's goal is, is if he can destroy your hope, you will quit. That's what he works on day and night. Can I destroy your hope? He's doing it right now. He will do it tomorrow. That's what he does. You know, I've shared a little bit of this story before, and I want to share it again, but um, some of you know Glenn Carlson, who used to pastor in our area, and uh, Glenn pastored at the Lutheran Church in Stony Plain. And I had the honor of sitting down with Glenn Carlson and just talking to them about their journey because that church experienced a renewal years ago, right? God was showing up. I mean, young people were getting saved. Young adults were getting saved. Adults were getting saved. That church was just something was happening, and it was so powerful. And then all of a sudden, everything just stopped. Done. You know, as of two years ago, that church was down to 45 members. Yeah. They actually brought back a friend of mine who's pastoring it right now, and they're about 75. He's working on it. Yeah, awesome. But one of the things that Glenn said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, Chris, the enemy is always outside our door. In fact, he's there right now. And he's staring in our door. He's staring in our homes. He's staring at our cars. He's staring at our kids. Everywhere that we are, he's trying to infiltrate that. That is his goal. That is his plan. But you know what we were able to do for years? We didn't look at him. 
We already know he's doing that. We were focusing on the instructions that came from a king because the instructions that came from the king were all that mattered. Not what the enemy was doing, not the storm around me. All that mattered in the moment were the instructions of the king. Let me tell you something. We are in an interesting time in life, are we not? You know, we've been in this for three or four years, and we're seeing things, and they're shifting and changing. I mean, the things that are going on bring so much confusion, confusion to the younger generations. The temptation for the body of Christ is to focus again on what the enemy's doing. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see what he's doing? I do. I actually do. Do you see what he's doing? I think we see the enemy's got some plans. But I'm not going to focus on them. We need a revelation from our king. That's what we need. He has the solution. He has the answer. He has everything we need to navigate through this storm. Everything. As bad as it is, as many days as we've been in it, he is waiting for people to step into their place. And so I want to declare this because I believe God is preparing an army of unknown people to take the helm of sinking ships. Did you hear that? God is preparing an army of unknown people to take the helm of sinking ships. And some of those sinking ships come in the form of broken marriages, people who are stressed out, financial hardship, crisis situations, yes, such as COVID, such as the fires, war. We have a broken economy. We have people right now who are scared. You know the words that are spoken out? Young people will never get a house. You know, I stand against those words and say, no, the provision's coming. God can shift everything in a second. We don't need to listen to what the enemy is doing. We're going to focus on the king. Again, we want people to step up in those places where those ships are sinking. Maybe it's your place of employment. Maybe you don't like your job and where you are, but I'm telling you something. You have influence there for a reason. It's that realm called business. And that realm called business needs to be influenced for the king. There are realms we're in, we despise them. Paul was not excited about being on a ship that was in the middle of a storm, right? None of us should be excited about this, but what we should be excited about is we can hear from the king. And we can actually shift that realm. We can change it. I'm looking at Lindsay right now, and I'm just thinking way back to when we did Common Ground. And I remember one day we were all sitting together talking, and Lindsay shared a story. Can I share this about your employer, employee you didn't like so much at Starbucks? Yes. She gave me permission. She said, yes, I could. I just remember, and if I tell this wrong, Lindsay, feel free to come on up. But uh, let me tell you, man, I remember Lindsay coming, and there was a person in her business that she couldn't stand. She did not like this person at all. Right, And she brought this up in our group. And I think if I remember right, I said, why don't we start to pray for her, right? And so we chose to start to pray for this individual, right? And I remember Lindsay came to the next meeting and said, you're not going to guess what happened. And I'm like, what happened? She goes, this individual came up to me. And if I remember this right, they started sharing their feelings with me and telling me all these things that were going on in their life. Mistake, 
Coincidence? No, not at all, right? And actually, Lindsay had told me, I think it was just weeks ago, God brought that person back to your attention, right? At the, wow, at the outdoor, like just recently she ran into her and she said they gave each other big hugs, right? Let me tell you something again, right? We can be in circumstances and situations that we hate and we don't like, but all of a sudden when we get the heart of the Lord, everything changes. I'm telling you, this is so vital. As becoming mothers and fathers, shifting community, transforming our places of employment, transforming schools, this is something we have to catch in our hearts. Oh, man. Oh, God, we need an awakening. We need something to bust open inside of us because this is an area where it's like, yeah, that might be work. Yes, there's work to involve in actually saving people that are on a ship that's about to sink. There's work that is needed. And as the body of Christ, we're not called just to sit on that ship and let it go down. Right? That is not your call. Right? It's not to be comfortable. I'm sorry. I know we want that sometimes, but our call is to save a sinking world. This is our call. I'm sorry. Read the Bible. We all know this is there. We have a superior model that can change every situation. We can't be intimidated of that model. We can't be scared to share that model. But we do need to know what that model is, which means we need to do exactly what Paul did. We need to make sure we're spending time in his presence. Just want to share a quote I was reading. It actually comes out of this book. You know, it's an interesting statement because, you know, I think sometimes in life there's this mindset, and I've heard it from others, you know, but these people don't care about God. Right? So what's the point? Well, this is an interesting statement, and I just want to read it to you because it's in regards to this, and it's powerful. We live in an interesting world. Sometimes they all don't seem worthy, do they? And there was a point where we were not worthy, correct? Not everyone on the boat was worthy of being saved. This was not a class of school kids. They were by and large unbelieving and and ungodly group of people who did not acknowledge God. They were like people who live around you and me. They were idolaters, adulterers, God mockers, and atheists. However, God loved them enough to give them Paul, who displayed such love and grace in the storm that everyone wanted to follow his orders. Here's the question. Are we willing to be a Paul for somebody? God gave them a Paul. He fed them. He cared for them. You can be a Paul. I mean, the same can be said for Joseph, right, and Daniel, right? We need today in this world Joseph and Daniels who are going to start to rise up and step up and to begin to take that place. You know, and again, I think we realize that crisis is where we can really step into things, and I want to just touch on that for a minute because, again, I'm not talking about COVID, right? I'm talking about just crisis, and I actually wrote down the definition of it, and it's this. 
a time of intense difficulty. That's all a crisis is. I mean, all we've got to do is open our eyes. We've got an entire world that is in crisis. They are scared. They are exhausted. They don't know what to do. It's a sinking ship. But there's a whole bunch of Pauls who can hear from God and things can start to shift in a heartbeat. So God, we need, we need your instructions. The key is this. They knew how to use the wisdom of God to solve problems, provide solutions, and answer tough questions. I mean, I'm telling you something that um, I think, you know, this is going to come up again here in a minute, but I think the church has been a little bit afraid of answering some of the tough questions that are out there right now. I think we're all afraid in some ways, right? The world we live in today, we're seeing the consequences of people speaking up and saying things, right? We'll let somebody else do it, but let me tell you something. We have a world who is exhausted. They are tired. They need truth. So we need to ask the Lord, how do we share that truth? Because we have the solution. God, right now, I just pray for all of us. We need angels to show up in our bedsides speaking to us. God, whether we're driving in our car, we need angels showing up now, Father. We need your strategy. We need your plan. We need it right now as we're standing, sitting in this church. We need your angels angels showing up, God. We need your Holy Spirit to speak truth to our minds right now, Father. Father, right now, for that stuff that gets in the way, I ask that you would remove it, bring clarity, God, and may our heart start to fall in line with what your heart breaks for every single day. Shift that in us right now, God. Shift it. Oh, I got six minutes. Again, I know... uh, Some of us like some practical stuff, so I felt like I want to give you some practical stuff that we can take out of this because I think there's some stuff we can hold on to to figure this thing out, to get better so that as you go into these environments, you actually can bring some change, right? So I'm going to give you five things. I I want you to hear it, and I want you to pray into it afterwards because these are five voices in the midst of the storm, right? These are five things that we have that we can present in all situations, And they are just as powerful today as they were 2,000 years ago, right? So the first one is this, is is wisdom, right? We have wisdom, right? There is supernatural wisdom that comes from God. James 1.5, we know it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberty and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Right, that's a great question. So what does that mean in the moment? And Jen and I were talking a little bit about this because I'm like, so what happens when we ask for wisdom? Boom, hey, I know everything. Is that what happens? I think we would all be doing that and we'd all be much smarter than we are. not saying anybody's stupid, all right? (laughs) But I am gonna say this, right? I think God can give us supernatural wisdom for certain situations, right? But I also believe this. Right? Wisdom comes in two forms. One is education. Right? Let's read Proverbs 1.5. It says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. Anybody got a Bible on them right now? 
lifted up. Jen's got her phone. Everybody's lifting their phones up. No, we've got some Bibles. Let me tell you something again, and we know this. Yet we all struggle with it. Right there is the wisdom we need to navigate through every single bit of life. Every circumstance we are about to face comes from reading and learning the word. And this is why he says in his word, get it written in your heart. Get it written in your heart because that will change things. The second one is this, is experience, right? Experience. I mean, I want to read you something. Uh, This comes out of 2 Corinthians 11. This is Paul's uh, journey. (laughs) I want to read this because, again, we know that uh, he was in three shipwrecks, correct? But let's read a little bit more about Paul here because sometimes experience, when you ask for wisdom, I think God's going to give you an experience sometimes, right? And that experience is to build your faith, all right? So let's just listen to Paul's journey a bit because, you know, we all want to be like Paul doing what he's doing. Do we? Let's read this. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, And they, and they servants of Christ, I am out of my mind to talk like this. This is out of the NIV. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times... I was beaten with a rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have, go- and have often gone without sleep. Anybody gone without sleep recently? I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not feel inwardly burned. I mean, when I read that, (laughs) Paul has some experience. Does he not? And that experience provides what we call wisdom. Right? So when we ask for the wisdom of God, yes, it may supernaturally happen in that moment for that situation and circumstance. Right? But that wisdom can come from you just reading the word. That wisdom can come to you by just asking God to give you wisdom and an experience will come your way. And you're going to learn something from it. I don't want to be shipwrecked either. But I know this, right? The reason I can say I'm more spiritually alive today is because of all those moments. I have more faith today. I know it won't take me down. I have one minute, and I'm not going to do this. So I'm going to do this a little bit quicker so you guys can get these in you. Number two is this. Hope. Hope is necessary for motivation, folks. Right? Without hope for the future, there's no power for the present. Right? Paul gave them hope. None of you will die. Right? He gave them hope. He he encouraged them multiple times. We have a great weapon for the unsaved world. We have a great weapon for the saved world. We have a great weapon for everybody. We have hope. And let me say, hope will get the attention of everybody. Hope is needed. You want to evangelize more? Hope is what they want to hear. They need hope for everything. It will get their ear, I guarantee you, right? Hope is faith applied to the future. Romans 8, 28 says this, all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. 
Hope is the voice that gets people's attention. Okay? And very quickly, there's three other ones here. Revelation. I, I, can I have a couple minutes on this one? You guys okay with that? Revelation. God is the originator of great plans. He is, right? God's revelation carries an authority and people recognize it. Right? They recognized it in this situation. Paul had the authority. He knew what he was talking about. The centurion shifted all of his attention towards him. Let me tell you something. In the midst of COVID, in the midst of these fires, we've gained authority with our community. We have gained authority with our government. Why? Because we heard from God and we listened. Now, I'm not bragging. We've had like over $300,000 or more come through the church in the last three years. The reason it came in is because they trust us. Because five or six years ago when we wrote these grants out, we couldn't even get them as a faith-based organization. But something shifted because when crisis came, we had the answer. We have the answer. We have the solution. We need to hear from him. We need to respond and we need to act. Now, let me say this. Okay, revelation knowledge can rest upon a businessman, a salesperson, a housewife, a student, an executive, or a factory worker to change their world just as much as a preacher or any of these guys we see around the world that we look up to, right? And in some cases, more, more. Your day-to-day jobs, the places you are, right? You can bring revelation. Just like Lindsay had an opportunity to speak in this person's life, that revelation does something where years later you're still hugging because something happened in that moment. Something shifted in that moment. A bond was created. A love was created. She had compassion for somebody. It shifted things pretty quickly. Thanks, Jen. God is interested in using his people to bring wisdom and hope to all spheres of life. Revelation from heaven makes people sit up and listen. It does. That's what we want, folks. Revelate. God, give us revelation from heaven. Revelation that will make people sit up and listen. Revelation that will change things around us. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the stuff going on in the schools, whatever it is, give us revelation because that's what we need. Revelation, Father, let it fall upon our hearts. For this, I'm going to go through these last two really quickly. For, oh, this is a hard one to go through quickly, but I'm going to try. Direction, life gets confusing and people turn to all sorts of things to try to navigate through life. We are seeing that right now, right? People need direction. They are going to a whole bunch of different things right now just to try to get some form of comfort. Here's the questions the world is asking, folks. Right here it says, why are my parents divorcing? Why does dad reject me? Why am I depressed? Why am I drawn to abusive relationships? Why am I so hungry? Why do people hate me? Why do I hate myself? Am I gay? There's a billion questions rising up in the hearts of people. We have kingdom wisdom for them. We need to give them direction. The church is scared of this one a bit. Remember years ago, we did a thing and we wanted to talk about a few topics. I had a panel of six guys. You remember that, I think? Four of the guys in the panel ran away. There are certain things in the church we do not want to talk about right now. It's true. We're going to lose our jobs, right? This is going to get tough. As the church, we cannot be afraid of these questions. The church needs to embrace people and offer direction to them.
we can't be afraid of getting our hands a little dirty. They're, they're going to. They're actually going to. That's a little scary, right? Finally, compassion. We can't run into this with a sword and just cut everybody's heads off. As much as we may want to, as much as we're angry and frustrated, Paul showed compassion. Compassion is needed. The world needs to see the compassion of Christ in the church. And I'm going to say this. Acts of compassionate outreach affect communities more than event-driven outreaches. Secondly, I'll say it this way, is compassion will be the best form of evangelism in the days to come. Wrapped up in love and genuine relationships, compassion is free. It's something we can offer everybody, and that compassion will open doors and shift things. The church cannot stay inwardly focused, folks. And I'm not saying we are. I'm saying the church in general. We cannot stay inwardly focused. This is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm done, because you guys are going, I want to go home. I have a turkey, whatever you have. You don't have a turkey. (laughs) Why did I say turkey? I don't know, because I'm looking at Jen. Jen Jen loves turkey. I wrote this out the other day, and let me just say this. The fruit of our labor the harvest will come. If we choose to labor, the harvest will come. If we choose not to labor, they they won't come. There is a laboring that takes place on our behalf. We have to labor at work, wherever you are. You have to labor, and the harvest will come. It isn't about the preacher standing up here at the mic. This is a very small part of it, folks, a very small part of it. This is the big part of it right here, right, the biggest part. Okay, I'm going to read this. Hopefully it makes sense to you, and we'll go from there, right? Sometimes when I feel God speaking to me, I just start writing it down because I can't keep up with him. But this is what I wrote down. It says, there is, I want you to actually agree with this. <laughs> There's something to it. There is power in reading the Word of God. Do we agree with that? Yes. There is power in praying for wisdom. I want you to go home and pray for wisdom today, right? Don't be scared of it. Let it come. There is power in praying revelation into situations at home, at work, in the community, right? Yes. We want to do this. And in most cases, let me tell you, about it's not about the storm. When that revelation comes, it wasn't just about stopping the storm. It was about the 276 other people who saw what Jesus, what God can do. And that changes everything. When the revelation comes, it's not just to stop COVID. It's so that the people in the midst of this can come to know Jesus because they'll see the miracle that he does. It's not just the fires. The church rose up and people saw it. We want to see that salvation because we're going to rise up in all these situations because it's not just about the fires stopping. It's about the hearts changing in our communities. Right? I want the fires to stop, but more than that, these people's lives, they're burning, some of them. That's a terrible way of saying it. But it's a reality. We need to rise up and step up. Sometimes we think it's just about the situations being fixed. It's way more of that. It's opening our eyes. It's opening our eyes to something so much greater, so much more powerful, something so much more real. Something that can be seen, it can be heard, it can be touched. It's a realm maybe some of us have not experienced, but it's there. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, God, show us. I'm telling you, I, I was preaching this to myself this morning. I was thinking about my kids. 
and my head went to this place where I was like, I wish my kids did this and this and this. And I literally heard God say, do you not know what you're preaching? Have you not heard the word I've spoken over your kids? Who do you believe, yourself or that word? And in that moment, God said, stop saying that stuff and start declaring the truth. I told you what would happen. It's going to happen, right? So as believers, we get on this train of negativity and we focus on behavior. We focus on all this stuff. Let's focus on the truth, what Jesus has said, his will, his desire, his plans. That's it. I do not want to focus on what the enemy's doing anymore. I want to stop yelling and screaming about the stuff happening here. I want to hear the plan from heaven, and I want to go forward. And I believe there are people in this church that are already doing this, right? They're asking God, show me the plan. Give me the blueprint, and we are going to do it. And by faith, we're going to step out. There is going to be some repercussions. I mean, we've read the word. We will be despised. We will be rejected. Unfortunately, there will be words spoken against us. And I'm going to say this, golly, man, I wish we had two more hours. I mean, I have met with people within our city in the last few weeks, and we are talking about the hardest topics you can imagine. It's the first time that I've been invited to the table to talk about this. This is in the area of inclusion and other things. Let me tell you, the church cannot run from this. We need to get into the middle of this, right? We need to begin to have these discussions. What does that mean? I want to ask that question. I don't want to get in trouble for asking it, right? We need to ask. I'm going to challenge you with this. If you have an issue with this stuff, don't just cast out stuff and get mad and get angry. Start to connect with people. Go for coffee with people. Start talking to them. Don't get in an argument. Start asking good questions. God, give us a strategy. Give us a plan. We want to actually walk according to your will, your ways, and that's it. I pray for all of us, God, that we would not focus on the stuff that doesn't matter. We need to focus on you, your plan, your ways, and we need to start doing it now. So God, put that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. I thought I was going to be done early today. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Bless you. And go save die. Go get your kids. She's probably having a blast.